musicians Hank Mobley with Soul Station. This is Lead Stories. I'm Eutrice Lead, and I'm delighted to have you and be in my company and I in yours today. Joining me now is a very familiar voice, and he should be because he's on every day seeing to your health and seeing to your health in the same way he has been seeing to mine. It's Gary Null. Hello, Gary. Hi, Eutrice, and I'm happy to be on for a part of the program here because most people are not fully aware of what is happening or what the response to the bank's closures are. We've been led to believe by the government that they backstopped, meaning they, they're going to take over the entire debt. So once again, the people who made the mistakes at the bank are still there. In fact, I just read that they got a 50% increase in pay, all of them, instead of being fired as the president verbally said, I'm going to fire all these people. No, that doesn't happen. They're rewarded for their incompetence. So what are we to make of all this? How is it going to impact us? Now, you've had some good voices out there recently in the media. Um, I heard Michael Hudson giving his perception of this, and, and he is correct. Uh, I would go a little further. For example, I don't believe we're looking at the real full cause, and the real cause is debt. And the banks are overextended on their risky business loans, and they don't have enough capital on hand if everything goes sideways. Now, some of the bigger banks have more capital, but there's a gigantic elephant in the room that no one's willing to talk about, and that's derivatives. I'll get to derivatives, credit default swaps, uh, and options <clears throat> and naked shorts, all of which should be banned against law. But first, how do we get to where we have inflation that was very little, almost non-existent, uh, two years ago, and now it's anywhere between going up and down 7.5, and the real inflation rate is in what you have to pay for something over what you previously had paid. For example, it's not 7% increase on fuel. It's not 7% increase on eggs or food. It's much higher. It can be 20, 30, 40%. And so we're given an artificial figure. How did it get that way? Because the Fed raised interest rates faster than it's ever raised in the entire history of the financial market. So let's just say that you're a person who got a mortgage. Many of those mortgages are not fixed. At a certain rate, they're adjustable. And so they start off by giving you a lower adjustable rate. Let's say they give you one at 2.4%. You think that's great. And you bought a $400,000 home, which is the average cost of many houses in some areas. Not a great house, not a big house, not a wonderful house, just a normal average house. Just like when uh, I was looking uh, at apartments for my daughter in New York, something that she could afford, meaning <laughs> I would have to afford that's daughters for you. Dad, <laughs> you're not going to make me pay for this, are you? <laughs> and then she kind of, you know, bats her eyes and you, you, you think, okay, I'll help you out, which means, no, I'll pay for it. 
any dad out there knows exactly what I'm talking about. In any case, uh, I saw what looked like broom closets for for a fifteen hundred. You know, for, and these are just tiny little places that were cut up, larger apartments someone bought, and then cut them up. And uh, just a normal apartment, nothing fancy. Uh, you can easily spend $2,000 for one bedroom and uh, $4,000 for a two-bedroom. You want a nicer one, a nicer building? Start at 6000 a month and go up from there. And that's in Manhattan now, and each place is different. So we've, we've created this idea that if you want to live in a certain place, you have to come up with the money. That means it's artificially increased the value. It doesn't have an intrinsic value or real value. It's the market value. The market is whatever someone's willing to pay for something, that's what someone's going to charge. So that's what is happening all over America now. You're paying rents that are out, really outrageous compared to the value of what you're getting, and you're paying for buying stuff uh, at the same rate. Out on Long Island, where they have this, like the expensive part, beyond the expensive part, they just have these... Uh, small dock places and uh, like a trailer and one just sold for over two and a half million dollars that's insane there is no justification for that except all the regular places that people are paying a lot of money for they're very rich there's none of those left so now if you want to be the next level that's two and a half million and people are paying for them so here's the problem everything was overinflated why was it overinflated? Here's the second problem. Too low an interest rate, zero. So what's it mean when you don't have to pay interest? You're willing to take risks, big risks. If you're a company, we'll buy our competition. You know, if there's no risk because there's no extra interest on this loan we're getting. And everything looks good, but what it does, it automatically raises the value of, of assets and uh, houses, businesses, uh, all these mergers and acquisitions because the interest was so low. Everybody was playing the game. Now when you suddenly say, uh-oh, uh, we had to have $2 trillion for COVID to give away to people. No, you didn't, and you shouldn't have uh, because the economy was coming back. Business were opening. People were suddenly realizing that they could go back into business. And over 500 billion of that was in fraudulent hands, meaning it didn't help the people, it didn't help the economy. It helped people smart enough to play the system. But that meant someone had to print the money and they didn't have anything to back that up. So they just printed it. The Fed said, print this amount, the Treasury does the printing and then sells that off uh, in bonds and in Treasuries, etc. So now, now, the inflation, because you're spending so much money, step number three, you're in the crisis you are today because there was no, there was metal to the floor, pedal to the metal, spend all that we needed to on everything, give, give $100 billion to Ukraine, uh, just it's all on a computer. Well, that's debt that has to be paid back, at least the interest. So that's what caused inflation to rise overall. Too much money printed in too short a period of time with, with uh, uh, zero interest and now inflation. And now 
you have to raise interest rates to try to cool inflation. But the trouble is, the higher you raise the interest rates, now someone has got an adjustable mortgage, they're paying 7% interest instead of 2 You have a mortgage that you were just able to pay the payments, now you can't. Now you have to make a partial payment. You make a partial payment on your credit card, your interest rate goes up 10 15%. These are users. Now, who's getting this? The banks are. So now people cannot afford to buy things, and that's slowing down parts of the economy. They can't afford to buy a new house, can't afford to rent their apartment. Now the real estate market, as it did in 2008, is beginning to deflate in some areas, as much as 20 to 30% loss in value. Wow, what if you took out the equity on your home when it was high and you had very little you owed. I only owed $100,000 on my home, but my home was worth 400000 So I had $300,000 equity. I'm rich $300,000. Oh, but then I went ahead and took that money out on a second mortgage because the interest was low and I could afford it. So I put money into uh, a new car and a vacation and extension on my house. And uh, next thing you know, a person's used up their equity. But now that they owe the mortgage company 400000 instead of 100000 the interest goes up and they're underwater. The value of their house is below the cost of their mortgage. Are you following me, Eutrice? Yes. Okay. So you owe more on your property than what it's worth. That's called being underwater. So now it gets worse. Now you're having to pay everything you can and now you start getting defaults. What can take six months to a year before they finally come around the marshals do and lock you out? But where are you going to go? Because now to go to rent something, it's more than what you can afford. To buy something, you can't at all because you have no credit left. And this is tens of millions of Americans right now, especially working class people. In fact, 200 million Americans can't write you a check for $500. Why? Because we created debt. The bigger elephant in the room that no one's paying attention to is debt. So I'm just telling you how we got to these high inflationary rates because we started off at zero rates for so long, for about 14 years, and we had quantitative easing. That was where we gave lots of money, upwards of $54 billion and higher every four weeks to the banks in corporate America with zero interest. And we washed all their bad debts off the books. The Federal Reserve would, you would give them your bad debt, they would wash it and give you clean money at zero interest in return. Was anyone held accountable for making bad choices at all the banks? Because they were all bankrupt. No. I have the records of how much Citicorp was given, over $2 trillion, and Bank of America, and J.P. Morgan Chase, and Goldman Sachs. Goldman was given over $800 billion. Was anyone fired? No. Anyone who made the decisions to cause all those bad debts to be accumulated? No. So everything was cleaned up in what was the worst case of legal money laundering in world history. Trillions and trillions of dollars, some estimate up to 23 trillion. Okay, we learned no lessons. We overinflated the real estate market again. So we're right back to where we were in 2008, but with worse consequences. Here are actual facts. How much money does our government bring in from all sources every year? $26.2 trillion this year. What is our debt? 134% debt to our income. The U.S. debt is $94 trillion. 
So if we are running up bills accounting for 94 trillion and we're only earning 26 trillion, that's a huge discrepancy. But that's not all the debt. The national debt is 31.5 trillion currently. It's going to go up tremendously. That comes out to about $94,300 per person. State debts, 1.2 trillion every state. Local debt, meaning your cities like New York City, 2.3 trillion. So the national debt plus the debt of foreign countries, meaning when we borrow from other countries by giving them our T-bills, treasuries, and our unfunded liabilities, meaning Medicare, it's not funded, has to be refunded. Social Security, it's our money, but the government's been stealing it. They've been taking it and putting in worthless IOUs. They've taken out trillions of dollars of our money. They didn't put in a nickel. The government doesn't contribute to your Social Security. It's not an entitlement. We work for our whole lives, and part of our salary goes into Social Security. The government doesn't put a nickel into Social Security. Let's be clear on that. Now the government's been taking this money from Ronald Reagan on to fund its stupid wars and all of its ill-advised campaigns. So how much is our unfunded in, uh, liabilities that we, we owe? $220 trillion. All right, $220 trillion. So if our total income is only $26 trillion, and our total liabilities is $220 trillion, then we're over 1,000% debt to income. You follow me thus far? Yes. We're bankrupt. We're totally screwed. There's no power in the world that can get us out of bankruptcy. We're bankrupt as a nation. The states are bankrupt. The cities are bankrupt. Major corporations are bankrupt. The banks are bankrupt. And they're all being kept alive because of the government printing more money, which causes more inflation, which causes higher interest rates, which causes more debt, which causes more bankruptcies, which causes more inflation. Do you see the cycle we're in? We're in an yes. endless cycle of debt. We're chasing debt. We've grown because of debt. We haven't grown because of smart use of disposable assets. If I want to buy something as an individual, and if I want to buy a car, I'm not going to buy it on terms. I'm going to pay cash or I'm going to keep my old car because I don't want to have that debt because then add up the average debt. Well, you got your phone bill debt. You got your liability debt for your utilities. You got your mortgage or rent debt. You got your insurance debt. You got your taxes debt. So you got all these debts. And yet Americans were given cheap credit and endless credit. And as a result, they kept buying stuff they did not need with money they did not have, creating debt they could not repay. You follow me now? Yes, indeed. So if and you I ask hope, the average American... I hope American, the audience is also following you uh, because you're giving us uh, uh, a briefing on what our real circumstances are, and this is very important for people to pay attention to. We owe foreign governments $7.1 trillion. We owe Medicare $35 trillion. We have $181 trillion in unfunded liability. We owe Social Security $22 trillion. We owe credit cards $1.2 trillion. We own student debt $1.8 trillion. Why in the hell are students going to college if they can't pay it? Go to a trade school. You'll be given a living wage when you get out. 
because they're the ones who have massive amounts of work, more work that is required than their workers to do it. Therefore, they can get higher wages. 100,000, 150,000 is not unheard of, but everyone wants to go to Yale and Harvard. Fine if you know you're going to have a guarantee, but artificial intelligence is taking those jobs and wiping them away. So we're paying for debt that we will never be able to recuperate for jobs that will not exist when you get out of college. 60% of all jobs that people are now expecting when they get out based upon what they're mastering in will be gone by cause of artificial intelligence, automation, foreign exchange, uh, visas, and transhumanism. But is any college and university saying, don't take these courses, we're banning these courses because there's not going to be a job for you? Absolutely not. So I'm not for forgiving debt for anyone going to a private college. You want to go to a public university or public college, you want to go to a, a two-year college and learn something other than liberal arts that aren't going to prepare you for anything except wokeism, then it's on you. And why should we, who work and work hard and watch what we spend, why should we be paying bills for people who don't care about how they're making this happen? So now what we have is we have in the United States banks that we have our money in. How much do we have? How much do retired people have in their banks? $15 trillion. Okay, well, that seems like it's good for them. No, because they don't have that money. They don't have it. They've invested it in every one of these schemes. Venture capitalists and hedge funds and equity partners have managed to use this money to make more money, supposedly for your retirees. So the next is going to be on retirees who are on pensions and 401ks. They're going to get their ass kicked. Why? Because a lot of these things are going south because they were speculative. The people who created them, they made their commissions up front. They've made their money and they're out. So I called one bank yesterday and I spoke with a banker. And I spoke with one of the top bankers, and I said, how much do you carry in reserve? This is the number one. They, well, we're great. We carry $3.2 trillion in assets. Okay. No, that's how much asset you have. All right. How much that's loaned out? I don't know. Bank of America, $2.4 trillion. How much of that have you loaned out? Won't say. Citicorp, 1.7 trillion. Wells Fargo, 1.7 trillion. U.S. Bank Corp, 585 trillion. PNC, 552 trillion. Trust Bank, 546 trillion. Goldman Sachs, 486 trillion. A billion. Um, all these are all billions. Then it goes right down State Street, 298 billion. And First Republic, 212 billion. Last one is Morgan Stanley, 209 billion. That's how much money in assets they've taken in. Now, how much have they kept? How much do they have in reserve? Ah, that's a different story. For example, which banks have more money and more assets to back it up? Well, the People's Bank of India, Construction Bank, has $4.7 trillion. Agriculture Bank of China, $4.5 trillion. The Bank of China, $4.2 trillion. Okay, Mitsubishi, $3.1 trillion. Now, then you say, but I'm okay because I don't have all that much money in the bank and the FDIC will bail us out if we, for anything under $250,000. They could. They just did it with three other banks, but they don't have to because of the law. The bail-in that Obama signed means that if the bank goes broke, all of the assets, all of your money immediately becomes the bank and you are no longer, uh, you're not 
in a, a, a person, you are now a stakeholder. You are an investor, and investors are excluded from being bailed out. Ah, so I get a worthless percentage of stock in a company, but it's got my money? Yes. So the FDIC technically does not have to re uh, get me out of my jam? No, they do not. All right? By the way, prior to this weekend, any account beyond $250,000 was not covered by the FDIC deposit insurance. Now the federal government will cover the full amount over the limit in any amount, millions of dollars. It makes no difference whether the money comes from the FDIC, the Exchange Stabilization Fund, the Treasury General Fund, or the Federal Reserve. Do they have anything backing that up? Zero. There is a fiat currency. Again, it's a game of lies, deceit, and manipulation. In fact, a total of 1,291 insured U.S. national and state commercial banks and savings associations reported trading and derivative activity at the end of the fiscal year. A small group of large financial institutions constitute the dominant trading in derivatives. Derivatives are the worst thing that could ever happen to a bank and should be outlawed. The four largest commercial banks in America have 89% of the total banking industry's notional amounts of, of uh, net current exposure, meaning they're at risk. Now, derivative notional amounts increased in the first quarter from 22.9 trillion to 12 point, uh, or 12% or to $200 trillion. There's not enough money in the world to pay that back. And derivative contracts remaining concentrated in interest rate products total $145 trillion. And so if you look at the bank of, the bank of bankers, it's called the Bank of International Settlements, elevated um, uncertainty related to higher than expected inflation readings in many economies, which we're experiencing now, uh, and the outbreak of the war in Ukraine drove development in derivatives markets to, in the first half up. So what this means is this. Right now, in the world, banks are holding $598 trillion in derivatives. No, it's up now to, I just saw, $632 trillion. You don't have enough money in the world if you sold every ass in the world. The gross market value of outstanding over-the-counter uh, derivatives is about $18 trillion. But if one bank fails, they can cash in for the full amount. At its worst, Congress will pass a bill and nullify the 18 trillion that are sitting on the bank balances because there's no bank that I mentioned with two to three trillion for the top ones and billions for the others that could cover the 18 trillion in uh, their current over-the-counter derivatives or the larger 598 trillions. These should be outlawed immediately not a word anywhere in anyone's discussion of any economist of how if one of these banks go down, the derivatives they own become a part of that debt. That could collapse the entire banking system overnight. America is bankrupt because we do not know how to say no and be fiscally responsible. That's what this means. But we, as individuals, must be fiscally responsible. I'm suggesting that people get their money out of the banks, accept what they need, if you have a small business for about a month's worth of payments because 
I'm concerned. I hope it doesn't happen, but I'm concerned there's going to be a run on the bank. What caused the bank in Silicon Valley Bank to go broke? A run on the bank. They had assets. They had about $200 billion in assets. But how many of those assets were actually in the bank? And how many have been loaned out to ventures where billionaires in Silicon Valley uh, said, I've got a new idea. It's going to take $100 million. We'll back that. And the bank backed it. Okay? And that's where their assets are outside the bank. And people wanted their money and couldn't get it because they don't have it. Now the government comes in and has to cover all that money. We're talking about billions of dollars. But the government doesn't have it. It just prints it out of thin air. So everybody's playing the game as if we're okay and we're not. We're a thousand percent debt to gross domestic product if you add in all unfunded entitlements. And so I would get into the following. I would get in, I would put my money into into gold, into silver, not certificates. And if you don't want to earn money but want to protect the money you have, at least the majority of it, treasury bills. Because the one thing the government cannot do under any circumstance, it cannot default on its treasuries. I'm not just talking about the seven trillion dollars, but how many treasury bills have the treasury sold once the Fed printed the money, the Treasury then sells off those. It gets a fee, and sometimes, depending upon the price and value of bonds, the fee of a Treasury bill, uh, let's say they have them in different denomination, a three, three-year Treasury bill, then you might get a 2% interest or 4% interest. The person that gets you that gets a small percentage of that. But at least at any time you can cash it in. If you cash it in before it's maturity, you're going to lose some money on that. Uh, and it has gone negative, meaning you buy treasury and you lose 2%, but it was better than losing everything. So if the United States government ever had to say, we're sorry, but we're defaulting, the United States economy would crash within one hour. 60 minutes, it's over. It's done. It's toast because of how many people are holding treasuries or bonds and don't and live off borrowing money at no interest for all these decades and expanding and expanding and expanding or buying up their own treasury stock because if you have 100 billion shares out and you borrow from the Fed and you borrow $100 billion and you buy up a large chunk of those outstanding stocks that are out there, then you own them and that increases the value of your stock. So the value of your stock goes up even if the product and service you're making isn't increased in value. So these are all the games. People making money off money. It's the worst thing you could possibly do. We should be having an entire new economy. We should have a completely different type of capitalism, one that invests in businesses, in structures, and does so in cities. To If we just put aside uh, $3 trillion, we could de-ghettoize every city in America. We could bring everyone up to a standard of living, not minimal wage. We could get rid of all the ghettos, replace them with good quality homes that people could afford. We could do all that if we didn't have predatory capitalism, but we have predatory capitalism. So we're gonna make all the wrong decisions now. The government's gonna lie about everything. And I'm telling people, get your money out because they're gonna use this, mark my words, you trees, within the next four weeks, you'll start seeing people say, well, you know, if we had a universal currency, then we wouldn't have to worry about all this. Then we could, if we chose, the government could forgive certain debt of people, but they control everything a person owns. 
because remember, your house, unless it's paid for, is owned by the mortgage companies. And if you have everything that you own, all your bills, into one account, and your account is a digital account, and now you do something they don't like, like you criticize them, they'll lock your account. Canada did that. China does it now. And that's what they're trying to do. The World Economic Forum wants to do that. Would you like to know that you cannot buy something unless the government approves it? You can't travel unless the government approves it. If you write something, read something, say something that the government dis- dislikes, then you are on their terms. They can control your life. Gary, let's pause here for a minute. This has been an extraordinary, even though you have uh, truncated it, but it is packed with information, and I'm sure many people would like to ask a few questions. At 888-874-4888, are you able to sure. extend yourself and uh, for the purpose of answering some questions that I'm sure people would want to get answered I'll be happy to. to. Before, I'm, I'm happy to do that, uh, but I want to do something for you today. <laughs> okay. I, yeah, I, I want, because I want people to know what you're doing. Many people know already that that uh, you trees and can I share this information, you trees do I have your permission? Sure. I'm not saying anything to embarrass you. I just like to be completely open and honest about everything. Eutrice is on a journey right now, and it's not an easy journey. She is facing, uh, even today, or even yesterday, we found out from an MRI from a hospital that she had uh, cancer of the uterus and in the epithelium, and it metastasized to her lung. I didn't know this. Uh, the doctor didn't know this. Um, her other doctor, her internist, didn't know this uh, because we're just getting these records. Now now we're getting even more records. The records I received that she gave me showed that she had uh, acute renal failure in both kidneys. She had cancer in the lungs. She had uncontrollable diabetes with two medications and uncontrollable hypertension, high blood pressure, with three medications, and when I say high blood pressure, I mean stroke any second high. Plus, she was over 100, uh, 133 pounds overweight uh, and suffered excruciating 24-7 back pain where she was bent way over, couldn't walk, and she also had enormous amounts of mucus. And first time she tried to walk, she walked five feet and stopped. Okay. That's where we began four weeks ago. And she also had no money because of an ongoing conflict with her landlord where she finally uh, had to leave her domicile for 13 years where she was up to date on all of her payments. She was a good tenant. Everybody liked her. The landlord wanted her apartment. In any case, um, so I said, she called me and I said, of course, you know, I, uh, this happened six years ago and seven years ago and now it's happening now. I'm happy. I, I have a guest house. You can stay in the guest house. And free, of course. And uh, helping with food and other expenses and driving because she doesn't have a car so I have driver everywhere. That's where the, it began. But she was literally, and I mean literally, at death's door. And so my first concern was doing everything possible to get her into the hands of the best physicians. So oncologists, neurologists, uh, gastroenterologists, um, 
uh, spinal cord experts, all were contacted to get her in. The trouble is, they're all book solid. And then her insurance didn't pay. So some therapies that could have helped her back, she couldn't, couldn't get it because they didn't accept the insurance. And they don't t- take cash. It's all through the insurance. In any case, I said, okay, our number one concern now is just keeping you alive. So she's been put on a protocol. Is everything I've said accurate up to this point? Yes. So here's what's happened in four weeks. As of this morning, she's lost 33 pounds. That's phenomenal because that takes pressure off the heart. And as I explained to her, oh, and she, we found out she also has tachycardia. And the stress has created AFib. So that's two new things that could kill her in any second. No shortage of, you know, imagine being faced with eight different killer diseases all simultaneously. And as one doctor said, did he not? He's never seen anyone in his entire medical career. And his colleague who's a neurosurgeon has never seen anyone, after looking at your medical records, who survived any of this. They were amazed you were still alive. And you would have been dead had you not started. So the goal is every day try to take another percent away from dying and put it on the side of living. Her blood pressure, when I spoke with her doctor, he was giving her medications that were causing her liver failure. He did not discuss that. And I said, how could you be giving medications without seeking the side effects, which showed the number one side effect was acute kidney failure. And what does she have? Acute kidney failure. She's going to die from her kidneys closing down or go on dialysis. I thought I talked to her about that. No. And Utree said, no, you did not talk to me about that. I was acting as her advocate. And uh, so he got her off the medication. Well, we'll take her off. You mean she didn't need those medications? But she didn't have stable hypertension, um, and therefore you were going to put her on additional medications, a fourth or a fifth or a sixth? That's where the conversation ended. In any case, she's off all medications. So what happened? Did she die because of her high blood pressure? No. Her blood pressure went from heartbeat away from dying any second from a stroke to normal. Let me repeat that. What was your blood pressure medication yesterday afternoon? Oh, I, I, it, I don't have my book to check, keep my log. 127 over 70. Okay? That's right. That's correct. And your blood sugar with two medications was what, 203? What was it yesterday with no medication? Again, it's in my notebook, which I 101. 101. All right. Last evening, what did the physician say to you uh, about what he saw in your current MRIs in your lung? What did he say? He said it was mostly clear. That's correct. He said you've got some a uh, couple of abscesses he saw. But he said otherwise, he said, you have no metastasis throughout your lungs that would cause you to die from that. Is that what he said? That's what he said. He said your kidneys are clear with the exception of a kidney stone generally due to dehydration in each kidney. Did he say that? Yes. He said your liver's completely clear and your enzyme levels are normal. Yes or no? Yes, he did say that. Yeah, he said that... Uh, you don't have the problem in the spine, you have stenosis, but that can be worked on. And indeed, 
the therapy you're getting with the acupuncture, has that reduced the pain? Yes, it does. And the chiropractic, has that reduced the pain in the lower back and the displacement of the hips? Yes. Are you able to walk upright? Yes, with the assistance of a cane, just the same to stabilize me. But uh, okay. Are you able to sleep through the night before you couldn't? I, I sleep so well, I, I'm always in danger of uh, missing my get-up time. <laughs> okay. Uh, just a couple days ago, you went on the track to walk. Yes. You walked more than five feet without being bent over and out of breath. How far did you walk? I did nine laps. Nine laps. That's not the longest you've gone, but you did nine laps two days ago, and that is two miles and a quarter from not walking five feet to walking uh, uh, over the weekend three miles. She stops at four points to rest. I put four chairs around the track. Because <laughs> yeah. right. I didn't want her to fall over. But I have four chairs uh, strategically placed so that if I get tired, really tired, I just walk to the nearest chair and sit down for a while. Yep, but you did three miles. All right? Yes. Are you on a modified fast and juicing with fresh organic vegetables? Yes, indeed. You bring me the vegetables, as a matter of fact. Are you taking the supplements for the cancer, for the heart, for the blood, for the kidneys, for the lungs, for the liver? Yes, the natural supplements that you have given me and prescribed. So this does not mean that she is cured. I don't want to give that impression. It means that what was a death sentence four weeks ago, today, there's an opportunity to live. Could she still die? Yes. Could she still have a stroke or embolism because of the arteries? Because it takes longer to clear out the arteries from a lifetime of accumulating fats and shrinking of them, which is one of the causes of high blood pressure. That takes time. And AFib is a killer. But are you learning how to de-stress for your emotions and therefore bring that pulse down and your blood normal? Yes, and I want to point out, uh, you have been extremely helpful in this regard of uh, showing me or letting me know the connection between uh, my thoughts and my actions uh, that are stress-inducing, and to uh, watch out for these tendencies to do exactly that, to connect my stressful thoughts with the consequence of that. So I've, I've been doing much better with that. Because when she came, she was extremely stressed. Everything was a negative, and I brought that to your attention. Yeah. You don't heal through negative energy, you heal through positive energy. So just remember, Eutrice was hanging on to one finger over a cliff four weeks ago. Today, today... Just my thumbs. Yeah, today she is getting up out of that, but we have a journey to go. And we still haven't gotten into the uh, oncologist's office but we're getting additional medical records and MRIs. So we do have the MRIs. We have the medical records showing that she had all these diseases. And we also have the current MRIs and blood workups showing that her entire immune system at the blood level is changing. 
the key is continuing that change, continuing the weight loss, because that's my biggest concern, getting the weight down to take the pressure off the heart, to getting the emotion smoothed out so that the AFib is under more control and taking the things necessary for that, and, uh, and getting the type of uh, input from uh, two doctors who are very conscientious. One's making home visits two or three days a week uh, coming, and their doctors don't go to homes. <laughs> yeah, they, good luck with that. But he's come, and he and I have long talks, and uh, he talks with you. Trice goes over the records and shows the difference, and he's very optimistic. He has said, and if he were here today, he would verify this, that he has never seen this kind of improvement and reversal in a person's condition in his entire medical career. And when he showed the after from the before with a neurosurgeon friend of his, they both said the same thing. This wasn't possible, but it was, but not in their, in their training and understanding and clinical experience. But now, as this person is seeing the change, this is actually changing his perception of how medicine can be used Mine is just, you know, creating protocols and encouraging lifestyle and behavior modification. Do you feel better about yourself today than you I did? I certainly do, uh, and it is also a consternation to myself because uh, to learn one very important thing, and I, I wish I can reinforce this enough that. A lot of my current condition, or previous condition, I should say, because it's been cleaning up, is the connection between standard medical practice and my ill health. I, I have to say that. I don't think I'm attacking anybody, but these are the facts. A large part of what I was suffering from had to do with uh, typical medications that were prescribed for me uh, and that caused havoc in my in my body it just it 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 caused the problem a large part of the problem was that I with these uh, maladies that I was dealing with uh, had no idea that the very medications that were uh, prescribed for me were in fact uh, doing harm grievous harm almost deadly harm to me and that is something that I wish I could encourage people to be very uh, very, very attentive to uh, and and make sure that you can read up on these medications. They um, won't. The average person will never look for medication side effects. They won't go to the physician's desk reference, which I read, as you remember, to your doctor. And yes. he had no response when I said, isn't it irresponsible to suggest that a patient that's taking six different medications, three for one condition, two for another, and you're not even looking at your own physician's desk reference, well, how much time do I have? Clearly not enough for your patient. And that's when he ended the call. 
but he is uh, he is no longer in the picture. But all of the MRIs are, and that's the thing. So we still have a long way to go uh, to where she is. She can you know comfortably say that a seventy year old woman who's gone through all this has made substantial improvements, and yeah. that's every day. Every day is getting out, exercising, and doing therapies. And we, you know, even trying to get in to get another MRI of her uh, cervix is difficult, as she was frustrated this morning that she keeps calling the the internist, her internist, and he has not returned the calls. And as I said, you have no idea how busy he is, and just keep calling and don't take it personally. Did I not say that? Yes, you told and me. In time, he'll get back, but don't let yourself get upset. It's getting upset then raises your raise the hormone level and that increases the irregular heartbeat in anyone everyone you get anxious you get angry you get fearful you've just changed the electrical charge to your heart and that could cause a stroke so there's a whole lot going on um, but i believe that she is worth it and i believe that maybe her lesson can be played forward to other people to help them as well so utrice if you don't mind, I would, but understand something. Utrice has no money. Uh, she came with no money. Uh, Steve Brown, a close friend of mine, uh, helped tremendously. Uh, I encouraged him. I said, I'll match your funds. But we need to go beyond that because she's going to need another 60 days of particular therapies. It's not covered by insurance. And these therapies, I believe, will help get her to a place where all of her organs are safe, where she has no stress upon the kidneys. Getting rid of a kidney stone is not the most difficult thing in the world, but that's a whole lot different than being on a dialysis with destruction of the kidneys, and the kidney's not functioning. Now the kidneys are functioning. The liver is functioning fine. And uh, now we have just to see, is there any cancer in the uterus, and that's why these MRIs are important. Uh, but just these doctor visits are expensive, and uh, there's three of them a week. So if you can help contribute something to Utrecht's lead, and it only goes to this. You know, uh, uh, she, she lives a very frugal life, uh, but she's got plenty of food, and plenty of food to juice, and plenty of supplements, and uh, her lifestyle is taken care of. I'm doing that, and her accommodation. But it's the interventions that we need, and those are expensive. So our goal is to raise $20,000. If we can raise $20,000, that will get us almost to where we need to be. And how you can help is you can simply go to this site and donate the money, and it only goes to pay the bills. And she's very methodical about that. And let me give you that information. You can go to www.gofundme.com. That's gofundme.com slash F slash support dash four dash Utrice dash lead. Utrice is U-T-R-I-C-E. Lead is L-E-I-D. Now, that's one way. Also, 
um, you can go to GoFundMe and put in Utrecht Leeds' name. You can go to uh, uh, you can go to GoFundMe.com and search support for Utrecht Lead. Support for Utrecht Lead. All right, and uh, so anything you can do will be really appreciated. And Utrecht also thought it would be good to make a little film about her, what she does, to show you. And so uh, a cinematographer was flown in and spent a day and a half just following her around to her medical appointments and to her therapist. And, and you get some doctors in there and uh, giving, and it's very encouraging when you hear what the doctors have to say. They're very, very excited by the changes occurring in her body. Again, I don't want to mislead anyone and think that she couldn't die in a heartbeat. She can. Let's be very honest and very real. You know, you lose 33 pounds, that's terrific. Okay, but she needs to lose another 65 pounds to 75 pounds to, to be out of harm's way. She needs to do a lot more before she's out of harm's way. And then, you know, to go in to have a surgeon look at her lungs and say, all right, here are the cysts. What can we do with the cysts? Uh, are there non-surgical means to dissolve these cysts? Are there anything medically that can dissolve them? Or do you have to go in there and take them out? We don't know that yet. Insurance will cover that. But uh, so we're on a road recovery but it's still recovery and at least she's not relapsing and that's a big one so again to help her out go to uh, gofundme.com and search support for Utrees lead and uh, you'll get to her now Utrees do you have any callers online and I'll be happy to take a few calls before the end of the show Okay, 888-874-4888 is the number to call. And uh, you can ask whatever you want to ask. By the way, I, I cut short my comments upon our problem. But tomorrow on my show, I'm going to talk about China's economy, the BRICS economy, and what it means to challenging the dollar's hegemony as a reserve currency because in the very near future, it could be as year, early as 24 months, so many countries are joining the BRICS nations. Uh, BRICS means uh, Brazil and Russia and India and China and South Africa. Now there are dozens that want to join up, including Saudi Arabia. If they do that, they'll have about 40%, 40% of the uh, world's economy on their side. They will pass the United States and Western Europe, and uh, that means the dollar will drop in value precipitously, probably 20%. That means all assets attached to the dollar will drop as well. And so I'm going to go through all of China's weaknesses and strengths and the BRICS weaknesses and strength and what it means because it's another one of those things that are happening that no one's talking about, and they should. Any calls coming in, you trees? Well, let's hear Who's on first? 888-874-4888. Eight, 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 eight. 
we don't have a call yet. No callers, Utrees. Oh, no okay. calls? Okay, then we're up to the end of the show, Utrees. So we'll leave it at that. Yes. And, uh, and let's just help Utrees, and she's really, mind you, she's up at early in the morning, and she's doing stuff all day long, uh, in addition to trying to make her program more relevant, more timely, and more of a challenge to her audience. And uh, that's important as well. But she's on it. I mean, I'm not going through the protocol, but when the film's ready, probably in a week, uh, you'll be able to see everything she's doing. And you'll see what it means to, you know, go through uh, this saving a life process from a different perspective. And again, this is where uh, these orthodox physicians and clinicians are doing everything they can but also they're learning about the importance of the non-invasive and the non-toxic approaches simultaneously. So it's, and she's got, uh, she's got three clinicians working with her and we need, we need to see that she keeps that up every, every day. All right, that's it for me, Utrice. Hope this helped. And, Thank uh, you very much, Gary. I really appreciate the presence of your your wisdom and everything right here on this program, accessible to all. And I thank you so much. Uh, I've let everybody know uh, you have literally stepped in a way that saved, I'm very conscious about that, saved my life. And I'm extremely grateful. Thank you. My pleasure. Again, if we can improve the quality of someone's life, if we can extend it a little bit or a long amount every day when you're facing death, that you're still alive, is a blessing. We should never take our health for granted. No. Have a nice day, everyone. Thank you. Well, that brings us be trailing toward the very end of our program, five minutes to go. Uh, but I wanted you to know what was going on with me. And from a very authoritative perspective, uh, when I knew that I was in very deep trouble, and we had what my father used to call a curious concatenation of events, <laughs> a lot of things coming together to produce uh, hell, living hell in my life, I knew I knew who to call, and uh, I did, and I have been the beneficiary of the most exquisite help, uh, and I'm so grateful. And I'm grateful, too, for your reinforcements. Uh, you send me good thoughts. You send me help through the GoFundMe uh, fund that allows me to have access to the things that I desperately need, uh, which I could only get from the very sources that uh, would not normally just give it to you for free. So, uh, but I'm getting excellent care, and I am fully involved in my rehabilitation. Um, and it's every day, and every 
uh, hour that I'm awake, I'm, I'm working on getting better. And I cherish your good thoughts and your prayers and your meditations that you send my way. And of course, I appreciate the fact that so many of you have been generous to share uh, some, some of your, your savings and some of your money that you need to do other things, but you, you chose uh, and are choosing to help me. I am not ashamed to say that I really need help uh, because what is needed, apart from Gary's uh, attention, and uh, he brings a lot of attention and his skills and knowledge and experience, but the, the, the world charges a lot of money for many of the things that are necessary uh, and that have to be done. So uh, that is where the fund money goes in getting me things uh, that I need to have the doctors use to gauge where I am in the scheme of things uh, and healing. But I am healing and I am carrying you spiritually with me every day. So thank you, and we'll talk to each other again tomorrow. Bye-bye.